Emily, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I am very, very well. So you've got up super early to talk to me, which I really appreciate. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself and like also in the process, how it is that we came to meet? Because we would never have met were it not for Mm -hmm. this one issue. So, Right, right. Well, my name's Emily, and I am a primary care provider and a mother of a gender-questioning teen. And in February, I joined a parents group, and that's how Angus and I met, through the parents group. Right, but I'm not a parent, has to be said. You're not a parent, right. (laughs) The world's (laughs) only parents' rights campaigner who doesn't have any kids. So what, let's just unpack, horrible term, that uh, idea of gender questioning, what does that actually mean specifically in, so you have a son, what does that mean in his case? To him? Yeah. Um, I think that he thinks that if he was just a woman, his life would be easier. And um, it seems to me that he thinks this metamorphosis would be quite easy and um, painless. And um, this all started last year in May. Um, And he just out of the blue said, mom and dad, straight to our faces, this must be very hard for you. Um, But I was born in the wrong body. And I was just floored by the by the whole thing and um and so for him it, it he almost developed the dysphoria after he came out with this declaration that he was born in the wrong body and then it kind of spiraled into this um absolute feeling of despair mm. so that's something that you hear a lot about that it's like the dysphoria is sort of retrofitted to the to a decision. A decision is made. I'm going to do this, or I should have been this, or I am in fact this, and then the dysphoric kind of presentation follows. So let's play devil's advocate. Is it possible that he had these very dysphoric feelings and he was just uh, concealing them from you and? that then having made this uh, announcement to you, he felt more able to be honest about these horrible feelings or, or do you think that there's any chance of that? Or do you think that a mother just knows her son too well for him to get away <laughs> with that? I, I guess perhaps, you know, maybe, but he's kind of an open book and, we're a really, really close family. We travel internationally together. We homeschool the kids. Um, so I I think that I would have known before. Um, they, uh, neither of our children uh, are afraid to talk to us. I mean, he didn't announce over text or email. He came to my face. Um, Sometimes and, there are letters and emails and stuff. I guess we should yeah. also say, I'm not sure we said, like, how old is he? He's 16. This happened when he was 15 and a half, a little okay. bit over okay. that. Yeah. And Which then, seems to be like a very common age 
for all of these kids. And I don't know, I think there's something to that that's mm. not being looked at. What do you suspect might be going on there? Puberty. It's that simple. Puberty. Mm -hmm. now, this is what Graham Linehan says. It's like there's a there's a synonym for uh, gender dysphoria, which is puberty, right? Mm -hmm. But then, mm -hmm. uh, but then, some people are, have always been more hit by it than others. Mm -hmm. It's a bit personal, but can I ask? Were you particularly hit by it, or did you? Puberty? Kind of, yeah. Did you have um, that? Yeah, I think so. I was, I, I guess you could call me gender dysphoric when I was a kid. I um, was very tomboy. There was no girls in my neighborhood. I played football in the street with my brother's friends. We hiked out into these apple orchards and would shoot guns. And um, I just don't remember wanting to be a boy, but I definitely remember being okay playing with the boys. And then um, my brother and I are very close, like our ages. So um, he kicked me out of his room when he started puberty. And I had to go to my own room because we used to share a bunk. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, um, and so I was kind of hurt by that, that he kicked me out. But then I started my own puberty like shortly after. And um, I guess I was pretty reckless is okay. sort of how I... And to, and experienced to give, puberty and to give people listening to this some context you you're in a kind of uh red part of a blue state right so it's it would be now like, i am oh now you are west but you grew up in i grew up in a well okay so i grew up like in a red home in a blue area right okay, so my right. parents are very conservative and never really talked to me about anything and just said this is the way don't argue okay and um and then back then when i was a kid you you didn't know where anyone was so i tell my kids this all the time you know when i was a kid my parents never knew where i was i just we'd take the bus to to the mall yeah. and be gone all day long and yeah. or you know be gone overnight even like oh i'm going to my friend's house they yeah. would never know if we actually went there or not I mean, well the, the whole question where are you made no sense before mobile telephony, right? Unless it was dark yeah. and you couldn't see, like you knew where somebody was or you didn't, you couldn't find it out. Like, yeah, okay. Right. So so he made this announcement and then you got the dysphoric presentations. So what were they specifically? Um. Well, he was sort of like trying on behaviors voices kind of asking for pronoun changes things like that but never a name um and when we said no thanks we're just not going to do that it's too new you just started this like give us some time we just need to and we kind of tried to ignore it and then it turned into this social justice warrior thing where right. he was calling me a turf and calling me a transphobe. And um, it was very hurtful to hear that from your child who you love. And I explained to him that that is not a term that we use in our house. That's a derogatory term. And 
we came to a truce for probably mm, three or four months where he was able to function, was doing pretty well. He had a summer job. You know, things seemed like they were looking up and then the fall hit and it just got really intense again. He just got really uh, fixated on the idea. And is that because of friendship, do you think? Do you think that was coming back into contact with his peers as, as the school year began or something like that? Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, we, we, they're, they're homeschooled. So their peer group was really focused more on their sport. And um, there was, you know, but there's a lot of teenage, you know, locker room kind of antics going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think he just couldn't handle it. He could not handle it so he ended up withdrawing from uh his sport which in hindsight I probably should have given him the option to step out of that earlier but I thought well you need to be around other people and it's good for you to exercise okay so when did you so this all started you said in May mm-hmm. so you that's 10 months ago now no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's 11 months ago now. Mm-hmm. When did you join this parent support group? So not until February. We were just kind of handling it ourselves. We were, um, my husband is very philosophical and he was able to do, he calls it Socratic method where you just help and they would talk and talk and talk for hours. And then finally he said, I'm just tired. I cannot be the only one. So I watched this coming out video on YouTube with my son. He's like, if you just watch this, you'll understand exactly what I mean. So I said, okay, fine. I'll watch the coming out video on YouTube. And it was just like the depiction of the before person, the man, was this kind of fat, um, unkept man um, who was depressed and, you know, and then, and then the person comes through the door and it's this 1950s woman stuffed in this dress. It's obvious she has a corset on and the breasts and the kitten heels and the whole thing. And I'm just like, what the hell? (laughs) I mean, it was quite possibly the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And it was just- There's a great quote from, I forget who it was. It's either Julie Birchill or Julie Bindle. And I always muddle them up. I apologize to them, Um, whichever one it was. And she said, if everyone were trans, the world would look like the set of the movie Grease. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. it's this very, very conventionalized form of, well, certainly femininity. It's it's really conventionalized. If you could even call it that, I would call it sexualized breasts and yeah. 
bottom. Jessica, it's Jessica and, Rabbit, isn't it? It's this. Yeah, yeah, it's very sexualized, which is so odd to me because when I, I get kind of philosophical in all of this because that's just where my mind goes. It's how I understand things. And um, I just think, why, what, what is it about this sexuality? And then transing yourself almost destroys your natural sexuality, mm -hmm. um, especially if you go down the road of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. I mean, you're looking at a not fully sexually developed person. Um, but even people who do it later that have genital surgeries, um, mastectomies, you have no feeling in your chest. Um, and so I just think like, okay, is this really about sex or is this just about the way you look outside to right. other people? Right. And is it, it's also like, is it about going forward in a different category? Like instead of going from boy to man, going from boy to woman, or is it just about going sideways and staying there? Is it just about mm -hmm. like not becoming a man at all costs? Mm. So this. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, that could be its own show. <laughs> that could be its own show. So one of the things that has been really difficult for the parents of boys going through this is because there were more male to female transsexuals historically than than female to male. There's more literature. There's and the, so there's this established understanding of that came from the Blanchard, which is that you've got your autogynophiles and your homosexual transsexuals. So the autogynophile fetishizes the idea of himself as a woman and the homosexual transsexual goes all the way through gay and becomes a woman. That's the thinking. Mm. Do, do either of those things even perhaps partly apply in your son's case, this autogynophilia or the idea of the homosexual transsexual, or do you just see neither of those? Um, well, the thing is, is he's, very masculine person. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about the autogynophilia. I don't really talk to him about his own sexual experience, but from what I've pried into, uh, I don't think he's ever had any kind of sexual experience at all. Right. Um, and so I think he's just sort of in this exploratory phase. Um, and then, but you know, over the summer, we did, um, I don't know if you know this, but we're Buddhist. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Um, yeah. So over the summer, I did a um, meditation with him. Like a, it's kind of a, we broke it up, you know, in these little 10 minute segments and then we would meditate after. So it was this teacher talking and, and it was based on this eighth century text. Um from a, a, a Buddhist monk. And um, one of the teachings was on lust. Oh, and, okay. um, that teaching actually helped him a lot. It helped him realize that he's probably gay. Um, and he, he, at that point, it was like the most weight had lifted off of him, like for him to even acknowledge that that's what it could be. Uh, it was just like watching, um, like in the Zen tradition, they they call it like quick awakening, like a 
lost. You know, you just all of a sudden become enlightened or, mm. you know, you wake up to some kind of truth. Um, and it, it was witnessing that for sure. During I guess this. we and, could translate that to a, like a road to Damascus moment in the Christian tradition, right? Like a sun. Right, right. Sun, yes. The sun coming sudden, through the clouds. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and then I think that's actually why the rest of the summer kind of was okay. Where he was like, oh, I'm just gay. It's cool. It's cool. Like, I'm just gay. And then um, he even was using the word super gay over the summer, even before it was trending on Twitter, because um, <laughs> I think that he has no attraction to female bodies. Um, now, this is just, we haven't really dug into it. You know, we don't talk that deeply, but mm. that's what I think. But this is a pattern we're seeing. that You see these young people and they kind of come out as gay. And then somebody's like, you sure you're not trans? And then somebody's like, could you not at least be queer? Like, come on, it's almost like it's impolite now. There's sort of an impoliteness because it's become very politicized in this woke stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. just being gay is not, you don't get very many points for that these days. It's not terribly interesting. Yeah, I I listened to Stella, you know, Gender Through a Wider Lens. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you listen to that. So I'm, I'm they, on it next week. I'm the, I'm oh, the cool. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear it. So they did an episode on queer theory, and they talked about this, that, you know, the, the critical theory and queer theory is just to deconstruct, deconstruct. So first was just homosexuals wanting to be normal, like, like get a job and have a house and maybe have some kids and and so that wasn't enough like then you're deconstructing that deconstructing that and now it's that um they've pushed this boundary so far um and it's kind of swallowing up all these kids on the way not really realizing the philosophy behind it is absolutely flawed mm. i mean this this is a you can't just pick and choose parts of a philosopher's thoughts and then make it into something you think it should be right but that's a very difficult thought for this young generation because they're mm -hmm. immersed in this world and I think a lot of people particularly on the right kind of hear about this phenomenon and say well you know you should just homeschool well here you are and you are homeschooling mm -hmm. and it's like you can't beat the internet it's it's yeah, pretty all-consuming it's not like they're learning this. They go to like an online school. Right. Um, and their school is very conservative. And yeah, they yes. read it. Social media. Yeah. It's YouTube. just, and it's just in the air, isn't it? It's just, mm -hmm. it's in the news. It's in Hollywood. It's in the yeah. water supply almost. So do you <laughs> think that he actually has gender dysphoria? No, I don't. I, I think that it's, maybe a spiritual affliction or um, a discomfort in his own body, which is normal in puberty. Um, but I don't think that he really fits the definition of that, what is it, persistent, insistent, you know, that is mm -hmm. not there. It goes away for weeks at a time and then something will happen, it'll stress him out and it'll kind of come back. Do you think that he's likely to go down the road of medicalizing and taking hormones? You know, it's interesting. He never um, has asked for that. He always would talk about it in terms of 
other people should be able to right. block puberty, for example. That was like a big thing he was on for a while. Like it's it's good if, if you know people can go through the right puberty. And uh, I was saying to him, that's absurd. You know, you get 50% of your bone density during puberty, 50%. So if you don't go through it, you're not going to get your bones hard enough to, to be an adult. Right. And, and just the language of it, like it's dessert, like, no, thanks. I don't really want puberty. Like I'm full. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. They just, it's presented as this option. Like you, you know, you can just choose, choose your own adventure. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And it's also like, I mean, I've seen a couple of still shots from protests where there are these guys who are like in their thirties holding up signs that say like, nobody should be forced to go through puberty. And you look at them and you're like, yeah, what kind of a man would want people trapped in childhood? Cause I'm sure we've got a word for that kind of man, you know? And this is a weak spot yeah. because they tried this, you know, in the gay rights movements of the seventies, there were people who were kind of going, yay, gay rights, also pedophiles, but yay, gay rights. And they're kind of trying to right. muscle in. Mm-hmm. And um, there is something quite creepy about this Peter Pan forever child mm-hmm. thing that's being pushed. I think for these kids, you know, they're looking at a life that's not hopeful. Like these things they're told about society and future mm. and what kind of job am I going to be able to have? Um, what kind of life could I even have? I think they're afraid that the earth is, you know, dying and mm-hmm. the, all of this racial stuff in America is very, very just in your face all the time. Um, and they just, I think that they worry about the future and it's a way to kind of say, oh, well, if I don't have to grow up then I don't have to be dealing with this. Mm. So do you think that because you're you're kind of in this parent community, is this, can you recognize when these other people describe their sons? Can you recognize that that theme of we're calling it gender dysphoria, but it it's not really gender dysphoria? Mm-hmm. Or if mm-hmm. it is, that's such a broad thing that it's not that useful to use it as a term. Does that, mm-hmm. Is that something where you think your son's quite typical of this new cohort coming in? Or do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny. One of the moms read my story on the forum and said, I thought that that was my story. Yeah. Because it's the same story. And all of us have the same story. All mm-hmm. of us. And it's not normal for 80 or 90 people to have the same story. Right. That social contagion. Yeah. Can you identify anything specific about the the conduit of that social contagion? It could be a particular friend. It could be a particular website. Or do you have any more specific? Because some people can say, oh, it's that friend. Mm. It's that one person. But it sounds like maybe not in your case. It was absolutely the internet. The internet. Just yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this term ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria, really 
what we're dealing with is actually misdiagnosed gender dysphoria. And the, and the diagnostic criterion is, do you think that you feel like X, whatever X mm -hmm. is, and that that's mm -hmm. just the be all and end all of the diagnostic criterion. So I guess it might be worth saying at this point that you are a primary care provider. So you're also coming to this with a whole body of knowledge, which is separate Medical. from- Right, it's separate from your experience as a mother or as a human being, otherwise it's medical. So mm -hmm. can you think of anything else in the healthcare field or the field of medicine and treatment and therapy that works this way? No, I cannot. Um, even psychiatric diagnoses, which can be a little bit flimsy, uh, you know, we have to like cluster B type uh, personality disorders. Those are really hard to diagnose because it's like, you know, narcissistic behavior or personality. Um, what is the other one that's really common? Borderline personality yeah. disorder. So those are hard to diagnose because the person typically does not believe that anything's wrong with them. Right. Particularly and, not narcissistic. They, they, they right. don't want to hear even, that at all. Yeah. But even borderline borderline personalities are, whoa, um, nothing works. I'm so, you know, something's wrong with me, but nothing works, no medicine, no treatment, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think there's probably some areas of psychiatry that maybe people go more with the self ID kind of thing, but I have women all the time that come in with lumps in their breasts and they tell me I have breast cancer. And I say, well, let's look into it because not all lumps are breast cancer. Some of them are, I'm not gonna say it's not, but uh, some of them aren't. And we don't cut off breasts until, or do chemotherapy until we prove that this is what it is. Um, and the, the issue I have with transitioning is the degree of body modification. It is so extreme. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the hormones, I mean, they, this, one of my um, best friends at work is into natural medicine. And he was saying the other day, you know, the people who uh, know the most about endocrinology are the least wrong about endocrinology and that's endocrinologists. So they're the least wrong, but they all are still wrong because right. the human body is so complicated. You can't just push one button and think that it won't set off this whole cascade of other problems. Right. And so to believe that you can just give a male body estrogen and it will just kind of magically transform this body into a female body. Uh, is 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 just just ludicrous to me. I yeah. I just don't get it. It's not what the tissue. Yeah, okay. So breast tissue would respond to it, but you are just playing with fire. You know? Well, and they're never shown honest depictions. They're never shown a picture. I mean, I know a young woman who's a detransitioner, and she literally thought that she would have a penis and testicles, which were indistinguishable in form and function from mm. the male, from, a, from actual male genitalia. I mean, she really, really thought this. 
Um, wow. And you can just look at a picture. And I, mm-hmm. and now I can see that from the point of view of a young person going through this, you're probably not gonna want to look at a picture because you might not like what you see. Whereas if you just stick with the image in your head, that's kind of safe. So mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. just keep on imagining it. But this is functioning differently within the medical profession from anything else, because it's really like, it's self ID, it's self diagnostic. It's just kind of this idea that you rock up, you make a declaration and everything flows from there. So when I did that, I did that to two people. Before before your son? Before this whole thing. Yeah, this is like three or four years ago. Um, These 18 year olds came in together, you know. Right. I don't know why I didn't think that it was abnormal, but I think I would, they, they were armed with knowledge. Holy moly. They said, um, this is what I, I need. They knew the laws. They knew which doctors they wanted to be referred to. Um, they, uh, they knew exactly how they were going to play this whole thing out. And they, I made it happen for them. I was talking to my friend from work last night. And I said, remember when we did that? Remember when we made that happen for them? And she's like, yeah, oh, because three years later, uh, one of them came back. She had not gone through a lot of modification. I think she just had done um, testosterone for, you know, I don't know, a year or something. Um, Her partner went full Monty and like got the breasts removed and. um, Okay. Oh, so they were a lesbian couple. Yeah, well, so I learned a lot about what they were. Um, they they did not call themselves lesbians. They called themselves um, polyamorous. Okay, I thought I thought you were going to say the Q word because if anyone says the Q word, I have to terminate and go and scrub myself if I hear that Q oh, word one what's more the time. The Q word. Oh, oh, <laughs> that word like, drives me crazy. Yeah, no, no. They so were polyamorous, okay. Yeah, polyamorous. And they taught me all about all these different words. And and I'm just so not in that scene. So I had no idea. So <laughs> I just would go along with it. Oh, wow. Well, do you use condoms? Because they're obviously having sex with men. Okay, um, right. So they were mixing it up. And I was very worried about infections because there's a lot of that. In, in my community and right. that's kind of where, where I was going with it but anyway she came back and was asking for birth control and I'm like well are you on testosterone like can you even take birth control when you're on testosterone <laughs> yeah. why do you need birth control and she said well I've just given up the whole thing and I'm just back to natural and um, I'm having a relationship with a man and I'm like a man with a penis and um and I, I think he could get me pregnant so I want to just take birth control I'm like, you know you just go with it I'm completely guessing here but I wonder if even though we know that the girls doing this outnumber the boys by something like four to one maybe three to one and it's there's a real imbalance there I do wonder if young women find it easier to kind of move through this like to kind of go through that and then to come out the other side of it whereas the young men do seem to be and this is quite anecdotal but you do hear from these therapists that like the young men just get stuck on the hormones thing now in your son's case it feels like that's slightly less all-consuming and critical to him yeah 
Well, it's because we bump him up against reality as much as we can. Right. Um, I make extraordinary effort to just get outside, walk the dog. Um, We go away almost every weekend. We hang out with my parents. My parents are kind of these old school conservatives, you know, and um, it just bumps him up against reality so much that it just seems like that you, you have to live in a pretty delusional state, I think, to be able to really push this unless your parents are on board. Right. Well, this is, I mean, so you get these rainbow houses in some, some cities in the US where they're, they're, it's kind of like a often even state funded kind of dormitory for people with these identities mm-hmm. and they they're just in an it's an island they don't have any contact mm-hmm. with anyone so mm-hmm. they don't actually realize that like 99 point name any number percent of the world think that it's appropriate for me to look at you and make a judgment that you are female and not negotiate mm-hmm. that with you. But very few people do. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense in like, you know, China mm-hmm. or something like this. Mm-hmm. And so they get into these bubbles. So if you can keep them out of these bubbles, then mm-hmm. kind of anchors them a little bit. So mm-hmm. is there like a, in your workplace, is there kind of a whispering in the corridors about this issue, do you think? Well, you know what, I am, an open book (laughs) and I um I actually work with this woman who's English and she uh, I like her already yeah go on she was she said the other day oh yeah you're in England they just lop off the dick and I was like oh my gosh (laughs) she's like you you better not look away because they just cut it off and (laughs) I was like oh my gosh wow oh so I I've been just really open with my coworkers, and it's funny some of them come with these like experiences where they um knew a trans person maybe like a, another doctor they were friends with or something like that and and so when I would tell them about my son they would they would just say well you just need to affirm him and I'm like, well, do you know that there's no, not one study, not one study on teenagers presenting with this problem during puberty, not one. Did, have you looked at the outcomes of these studies? And I, I kind of just get sort of brutal scientific with them right. and challenge them to show me the studies. Right. If you've and got also, something. Yeah. The long range studies, that's the real kicker because it's like, we mm-hmm. have no idea mm-hmm. because this is so new and this large cohort is so new. And mm-hmm. when it was going on in the seventies and eighties, it was so few people. Now it's so many, this 4,000% increase. And we don't know what they're gonna be like in their fifties mm-hmm. and in their sixties. Yeah. No, got, they mm-hmm. die, they yeah. die. Like it literally lots of uh, half of your life away. Because the, I don't think that the body can really handle the hormones that it's not designed for uh, long term like that. I mean, the life expectancy just by suicide is a problem, but also just heart attack, stroke, um, all of the other metabolic problems. Now, there are there other 
fields of healthcare. So there's we've got this thing now called transgender healthcare or gender healthcare, whatever it is. But obviously that's going to be interacting critically with psychiatric and psychologist services mm -hmm. and all the rest mm -hmm. of it and with pediatrics. But then also, I mean, it's going to be bouncing off in lots of directions, oncology or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So how is it, inter given how abnormal a field of medicine, if we can even call it medicine, because it strikes me it's a lot more like technology, really. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't mm -hmm. function like medicine, but it's within the the medical profession how does that interaction work do people just kind of fold and say okay well I have to obey the gender therapist I have to go along with that and just navigate around that or do people does it do these things kind of butt up against one another I, I think a lot about endocrinologists and their very troublesome place in this picture because uh, you know for me I'd I just don't prescribe the hormones. I've never been trained on it. I, I don't think it's safe. You know, I just, you know, so you just refer out, you say, go to the gender clinic, mm -hmm. go to the endocrinologist, you know, and, but the endocrinologist is sort of like this thing they've been handed and they have to deal with it. They, mm -hmm. there's the buck stops there. And I just wonder what's happening to that profession. They have always, in my opinion, been a little bit in bed with the drug companies. I mean, look at diabetes care. Diabetes is a disease, a dietary disease. Mm -hmm. um, it can be much, much, much reduced by strict dietary compliance, but they don't really push that. They just push the drugs, you know, insulin, right. Right. all these brand new $500 a month drugs. And they, and you, you look at the um, endocrine society stuff and it's, diets like that much and then all the drugs you know yeah, so huge. that are living yeah. through chemistry yeah um, so I think they were kind of ripe for the taking um right. just being sort of already primed for that kind of thinking you know I'm from Turf Island uh, Great Britain mm -hmm. <laughs> which is now called Turf Island which I love um there's <laughs> this it. yeah absolutely uh not that I would ever call myself any kind of feminist because I'm not really sure men can be feminists and all the rest of it. Um, but there's this theory that one of the reasons that Britain has been a little bit more resilient against just the, the, the totalizing logic is because we have a national healthcare system. We have a centralized mm -hmm. healthcare system rather than competing private companies. Do you, by that? I'm interested to get your take on that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, really? I mean, okay. Oh, yeah. I think uh, we do have a form of basic health care mm -hmm. for all people. Um, and that has been uh, captured by these activists. And so everything is paid for. Um, I don't know how good the surgeons are, how good the medicine is for the people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I agree. I think that we have a capitalist, you know, money-making system that's definitely taking advantage of this. It's like they're not even questioning how many kids are now. Oh, look at this. This is great. This is great. Yeah, it's a, it's a much bigger blind spot with the modern left, isn't it? It's like they've all forgotten money 
And you used to be able to rely on the left to be like, okay, the left is going to notice if a massive corporation comes in and starts exploiting people. And it's like that mm-hmm. there isn't, it's just not happening anymore in anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the last year and you look at all these restaurants, which have gone bust and cafes, which have gone bust, but McDonald's is fine. And I haven't heard mm-hmm. anyone from the left. I mean, I'm sure that there are, but it's not mainstream. And they mm-hmm. should be kind of putting this right at the center. So, so you've not long been in the parent group. What do you think it's doing for parents? Would you recommend it to somebody else who's going through this? Oh, absolutely. I I feel I think I had a little bit of self teaching, you know, learning about um, critical theories from James Lindsay and listening to him and local talk on Benjamin mm-hmm. Boyce's show. I mean, those two, those three have taught me so much. Um, but uh, but I needed, my husband just can't talk about it. It's very private, personal for him. And I needed other people. That's how I cope with stuff, stress. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's been incredibly bonding to feel not alone, um, to be validated in my questioning of the whole thing, you know, to feel like I am, oh, I'm not crazy. Cause for a while there, I thought maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> right. Cause you, well, this is, there are so many people who are going through this completely alone. And the, mm-hmm. the theme of the husband kind of just not wanting to talk about it, sometimes saying it will blow over, it's fine, let's not mm-hmm. make it a big thing. Mm-hmm. Is that what's going on slightly? Or? I, I would say he engages more than that, okay. but he, and, and it's funny because he'll tell me, I don't want to know anything. And then I'll just be like, well, I, I read this, this thing, or I listened to vocal talk about Christianity and I took, like heard this and I'll give him little tidbits and he's actually said it's really useful because when uh they're in the car together or something and they're talking he'll, something I said will come up out of him and he'll be able to counter these because you know they, they the kids they're they're smart they memorize these things um yeah. yeah and like he loves to bring up intersex people and I was talking to my husband about that and uh He's like, oh yeah, yeah, he brings that up. I'm like, oh yeah, they do. Like, I know what's next. <laughs> yeah, it's very that I think that so in the the I don't know whether it will be the last or the or the second to last bit of my Quillette series, I actually did an interview with an intersex woman because they have just been pulled into this completely against their will. And it's astonishing oh, yeah. the way that they're spoken to. Um mm-hmm. and some of these activists will go in the space of like 10 seconds from I'm an, I'm your ally and I support you and then the intersex person will say well you know I'm not actually sure that what you're saying is right and then it's like burn the witch it, it's it's incredible how quickly they turn um but it I think it's important to talk about it even though it affects such a small percentage of the population which and by the way it's way lower than this 1.7 Figure, oh, I don't is, think it's yeah, that much. Yeah. Oh, it, that's that's complete nonsense. That yeah. figure, um, because it is kind. Of, I think of it as like the Jenga brick at the bottom, and if you just kind of blow on it, 
all of this ideology collapses because mm. it's the whole idea that sex isn't binary, but it is binary. It's, mm. it's you know, it's like that thing that the average number of legs a human being has is 1.98. I mean, that's just not a useful statistic to understand right. what humans are meant to be. So, right. and they're taught this idea that there are people who are born between the sexes which in and of itself is not necessarily the best way to describe intersex conditions. Mm-hmm. And that everything else spills out from that. Mm-hmm. And they've never met an intersex person. They've never spoken to an intersex person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's that group, I feel really strongly that they've just been used. I mean, mm-hmm. by, this, by this ideology more than anyone else, I think. Well, and morphologically, they often go one way or the other. Right. Uh, so they look like a, a typical female body, or they look like a male body. Yeah, we go through life categorizing everyone into male and female. And to take mm-hmm. that away, it might work on Twitter where you can put your pronouns, but it's like, we're not going to, unless we all wear badges, how is this actually going to work? And I don't really want to wear a badge, you know? Right. I- so if you think about, and I know you're kind of new to it, but the portrayal of parents who are kind of questioning this and then the actual group that you've joined, which we should stress, it's not necessarily representative of all parents. It's a self-selecting group, but. Oh yeah. I you, yeah. think that very high functioning people, like so educated and hmm. uh, the the it's not a cross section, but you know what? I don't think this condition affects very many uh, people who are struggling. Like one of the, the little things, the email that you sent me, you said, if it's not gender dysphoria, what is it? And I said, it's affluenza. <laughs> yeah, um, you don't have it, it Yeah, There's nobody in South Sudan with like gender questioning. And there's some guilt around that, I think, in a lot of parents, because it's like they wanted to give their child everything and they didn't want their children to want for anything. And then they yeah. hit a certain age and they're like, yeah, maybe maybe we should have been a bit more kind of demanding and withholding and mm-hmm. kick them out into the street and send them to bed without dinner when they've been nasty and all the rest of this stuff. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, a, it is a very first world condition, but at the same time, it's your kid and it's like you don't want to allow them to go down this route of medicalization if you can do something to stop it yeah yeah or at least delay it you know like um I was listening to Artie Morty talk about his experience figuring out he was gay and um and I think I don't know what it's like to be homosexual like I'm 100% hetero like I never had an attraction to another mm-hmm. female so I but I know what it's like to have an attraction to someone it's just like chemistry or something and um, I tell my husband all the time I fell in love with you the day I met you like he opened oh. his mouth and talked to me and I was like oh you're it for me and um and so I think my son had like that uh, attraction to someone of se- same sex and he caught him off guard I think he thought he was straight his whole life. I really think he never even, uh, I don't know. I, I, cause we live in a community where 
uh, you, it's just not really, there's just no gay people around. Mm -hmm. We try to go, you know, down to San Diego and travel a little bit to, you know, go to San Francisco where um, men are holding hands or, um, you know, intimate talking at dinner. You can see that they're obviously a couple. Mm -hmm. You know, we really try to just go to places where he can just see that it's normal. Mm. Um, so, so he's kind of been caught off guard, as you say. Do you think that that might be because there's so much emphasis at such a young age now to think about sexuality and gender and who you are and how you relate to the world, that they're almost like preemptively making these decisions before they understand what it's like to experience a sexual attraction? So I don't think that for in his, I think in general, yes, I would mm -hmm. say, yeah, absolutely. Like that is probably a lot of the parents in the groups, kids have been in schools. We live in such a conservative place that they actually sing Christmas songs at school, public school, okay. public school, meaning, you know, government school. So um, like Christian Christmas song, like this isn't a place where uh, you would ever talk about gender or mm. uh, rainbows or anything like that that's just not mm -hmm. taught mm -hmm. and he spent a little bit of time in government school when he was younger but then in high school we did the this kind of college prep thing because the high school here wasn't that great and um and so I would say for him no I think it just slapped him in the face he was like oh Wait, what happened to me? That must be tough. And I, yeah, it's a great shame that the gay community has kind of allowed itself to be closed off in this way. In many ways, I think it's its own worst enemy. When young people are growing up and they are a bit different and they don't necessarily snap into that gay sort of character that's presented to them then you can see it. You can see that they would be thinking, oh, well, maybe I'm not gay, maybe I'm a woman, now that that's a thing, because they can't right, access right. this idea. Yeah. Oh, you were asking me about parents. Yeah. And I gave that question a lot of thought. Like, one of mm. the questions was, are they willfully ignorant? <laughs> mm. Like, are the parents willfully ignorant? Which is what you would think from CNN and the New York Times. and Yes, yeah. any parent who doesn't automatically affirm their child's gender uh, declaration is willfully ignorant. They just don't understand yeah. that this is necessary and it is the truth and it's uh, immovable. And I gave it a lot of thought because um, a friend of mine I, has a couple of friends who have kids like down in Southern California where they, he's, the one little boy, he when he was four years old, he was playing with his sister's Barbies. And his dad said, oh, we need to take him to the doctor because what's wrong? Why is he playing with Barbies? And so for this child's entire life, he's been going to these gender clinics down in Southern California. And he, just because he played with a Barbie doll. Just because he played with a Barbie doll. Yeah, those Babylon Bee funny things. And I'm like, that's not too far off the truth. Um, <laughs> Then there's another peripheral acquaintance whose child is a little bit older, I think like 12 or 13, and she 
um, is, is born a girl and she with the parents are separated and the when she's with the mother she gets to be a boy but when she's with the father she's a girl and so she has this like dual identity thing it's going to be on. exhausting i mean that must be exhausting yeah yeah well and so when you talk about willful ignorance i wouldn't say any parent in the parents group they're willfully knowledgeable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i there are people in that group who their their intellect just it blows me away and and for anybody to call anyone in that group willfully ignorant just needs to it's so one it's so strange. 10 minutes yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, but then you all... look at these these celebrated parents who are doing the right thing i would challenge them and say are, are you i think you're willfully ignorant you are not uh researching this have you even thought about the long-term health the consequences of this the psychological consequences of this there's no studies to support this experimental treatment mm -hmm. uh, and it is experimental treatment this is not fda approved um and it's so you're off label and when you practice medicine off label that's a whole nother thing and i don't know if these uh, they think they do these informed consent kind of um, programs, but that's just. Oh, I've uh, seen uh, those forms. They're insane. Yeah. It's just like, you know, mm -hmm. I agree that my knees might drop off. I agree that, you know, mm -hmm. it, and they just. I, I, I will mean, be sterilized. I'll be uh -huh. sterilized. Uh, there, there are no studies into the long, long term research, blah, blah, blah. And, and so we, even in your story, actually, because, you you know, you went through this professional experience where you quote unquote affirmed because you were less knowledgeable than you now are about mm -hmm. all of this it drives me crazy I've got to tell you it just drives me crazy when you see these people kind of writing these think pieces which are like well you know uh, some parents might find it difficult but what they don't realize is that there's this thing called gender identity and you're dealing with people who've got like a PhD level research because they've been up until three o'clock in the morning learning about like Judith Butler and the endocrine system and mm -hmm. the the deficit of the Blanchard typology and the fact that you know these various specialists don't agree and they're spoken about as though they are toddlers by these mm -hmm. people who really have I don't know 10 percent of the knowledge if that mm -hmm. um so it's an interesting it, it's really kind of painful because we can't get it out there because there's such a need for secrecy mm -hmm. and it, I always think I just wish you could see these exchanges between these mm -hmm. parents mm -hmm. I wake up every day and there's like all these messages saying mm -hmm. oh have you seen this report and this medical mm -hmm. and so and so mm -hmm. why I mean so we're both pseudonymous we're both mm -hmm. being somewhat secretive if you will why is that for you? Is that professional or is that to do with your family or is that just, why did, why can't you? I think I'm just going with it. I think that I'm, I'm new to this mm -hmm. public space, you know, and I remember the first Zoom meeting I went to with the parent group. Um, uh, I remember saying, what? You can't just say what you think. And I remember <laughs> you saying, are you nuts? Like, <laughs> and <laughs> because I um, have always been kind of fearless. Um, right. I I became fearless um, when I was twelve, 
And that was because my grandfather, who I was very close to, um, had full-blown AIDS, like uh-huh. pneumocystis, carny, intubated twice. Um, and he, I had to tell my, my little friends at seventh grade cheerleading that he had AIDS in the 80s. And I thought that they weren't going to be my friends anymore. I thought they were going to kick me off the team. I thought, I didn't know what was going to happen. Back then, no one knew anything about AIDS. No, people thought it was like it lived on surfaces at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. We had no idea. We were bleaching plates. I remember bleaching plates at my grandma's house. Um, Yeah, we had a lot of, like, it's a lot of anxiety around that. So I just told my friends and they... They were so lovely. Mm. They hugged me. They cried with me. They, they, you know, they believed that they couldn't get it from me. And, um, and then after that, I'm kind of like, I can do anything. <laughs> so you're kind of just going along with the group. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it, it is. I mean, some people, you can see like some new people, and they'll say something like, uh, they'll just say something to somebody else, like, "Oh, hey, where are you from?" And then they'll be like a flurry of private messages like who is this person asking where I'm from because it's just not what we do right you know it's kind of people are so paranoid about um Mm -hmm. activists getting in because yes yeah why do you think that the activists are so convinced that we're evil it's so black and white well when your house is built out of cards you worry. You like worry that. about the slightest breeze. Yes, yes. And I think that we pose a huge threat to their 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 program. Hmm. Um, and their house is built of cards. I mean, you look at the I mean, look at okay, I'm politically homeless. Um, but Donald Trump only lost by 40,000 votes, right? I mean, he lost by razor thin margin. If you look at the electoral college, yeah, okay, landslide. But when you look at the actual numbers um, and that could just breeze back the other way Mm -hmm. so easily and just a few states and the states that are are doing some of these um, laws, you know, trying to safeguard children are the states that have some serious voting weight? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia's a, is you know, Georgia was a swing state in the last election, and um, it's like the sixth biggest and, state, isn't it? I think it's it's big. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a big state, very populous, and they have a lot of. I think they have what I don't remember how many electoral votes, but. Um, it was pivotal in the election, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, uh, that state, if you lose Pennsylvania, mm, mm. yeah, 20 something electoral votes. So I don't know. I think that, that that's probably why the activists, and you know, if you, if you look on Twitter, like the other side of the argument, um, it's very, it feels really political. Like these, you know, it doesn't feel personal. It doesn't, there's no personal stories going on over there. It's all about how that's true, pe- isn't it? Pe- people are taking away our right to do what we want with our bodies. And 
and, you know, email the senator and it's very, uh, you know, student activist feeling. Um, mm where the other side is feels sort of like you're in a cozy bed or something and you're just reading all these kind of heartbreaking stories about these parents who love their children and um and you juxtapose that on each other and you're like oh okay i see, I see. yeah there, there's just a, there's a war waiting to happen i mean i think there's also something about the fact that we know a lot of the young people going through this are more prone to categorical thinking. They like categories, they like taxonomies, they like deciding I, I am this and I'm not that. Mm -hmm. And they take it so seriously that if you say, you know, I don't, even if you say like, I think you should have this rights and these rights and these rights and these rights, and we should like build an entire block of bathrooms for you and all of these protections, but I'm just not gonna say you're a woman. They construe that as like murder that it's the mm -hmm. denial of the self. And I do think that there's something about this autistic or autistic adjacent kind of categorical thinking, which I'm prone to myself, I've got to say, where I can see that it's contributed to making this debate so high stakes. And like you say, not personal, it's like there's no personal story. Because mm -mm. like mm -mm. I was looking for parents, you know? tell me your story, help me understand where you're coming from. And they're just not there. Well, that's kind of what I've tried to do is, is tell stories. And I think that, that there's been a, a deficit of that. And of course it doesn't help if websites like Medium censor you and delete mm -hmm. your story because it's not like sanitized and safe for everyone to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that your son will like if he continues down this path and you have fewer of those kind of moments of reason where you've got him out of it, do you think he could become one of these activists? Um, no, I don't because his, he already he taught me about woke scolding the other day because okay. I was confused <laughs> why his cousin was yelling at me. And he's like, oh, mom, she's woke scolding you. And I said, oh, what's that mean? And he explained it. And and even last night we were joking around. He was saying something. He's like all into like socialism and communism. I think it's a teenager thing right now. And um, he was saying, well, that would be okay. But, you know, a company owns that business or something like that. And I said, well, that sounds an awful lot like dogma. <laughs> and... Um, and he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know, just check yourself. And, uh, and then my husband said, my karma ran over your dogma. And we were like <laughs> laughing. So that's the kind of conversations we have at my house where okay. they're just really, uh, he's not autistic, you know? Right, he's, okay. he, you know, so I do feel for the, um, the parents who's, kids are autistic I cannot yeah, imagine uh just the um you know before this I all I did was read romance novels okay. I love like I feel like I my whole life view has been informed by prolific romance novel reading and I read probably three books a week I mean just power through these because they're so easy to read 
and I read a lot of books about autistic people, autistic characters, and um, they're, I, I have just so much compassion for these parents, for yeah. like this, just very, I don't know, no flexibility. Yeah, yeah div very divided sense of the world. And it's like, you meet these people. I mean, I've met this couple of detransitioners now where it's like, you spent like six to eight years of your life basically trying to get the world to agree that you were a member of the opposite sex. Like that was the whole, mm -hmm. and, and you, you dropped mm -hmm. out of college mm -hmm. because that became so central to you and you severed ties with your family and you had to rebuild those ties and that was really time consuming. And it's all just over this one category. One. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one category issue. Yeah. So, if there are people who listen to this who don't have kids who are trans-identifying, or maybe they just don't have kids, what do you think people could be doing differently from what we're seeing right now in the culture around this issue? Well, I feel like pretty strongly about this because, um, you know, I people love to weigh in on issues that have nothing to do with them. So if you're going to be that person and weigh in on an issue that you have no skin in the game, you, you don't have a kid, you aren't trans yourself, um, learn it, read the studies, do some heterodoxy learning where don't just buy what the New York Times and CNN's telling you, look into it or shut up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I joined the forum, which was like at the beginning of my whole journey into this very strange terrain, it's striking how few people there are who come into this who aren't parents. It's, it's, I expected quite a lot of, I expected a lot of doctors. I thought there were going to be loads of doctors in there who'd be like, mm -hmm. I have qualms about this. I don't think I've ever seen anyone post. Mm -hmm. I know that there are parents who, who are also care providers like you are, but I've never seen anyone come in who's like, you know, mm -hmm. who doesn't have a kid going through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you as well, has this changed you politically? Um, oh yeah, I feel like I took the red pill and now it's like, you know, the, <laughs> the Baudrillard like matrix thing where you get this, it, in, in the movie you get, you got a choice, but it, it just, happened organically for me um, where all of a sudden I thought wow all these people are living in this alternate universe and I am looking around feeling kind of alone mm. um, but I am sort of on this personal crusade to talk to anyone who will listen and be rational mm. I've never gotten in a fight with anybody no I think that a lot of that is just social media. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you put your name out there and your picture out there and you go on Twitter, then you're, it's not gonna end well. But actually, right. if you try and have conversations like this one, yeah. people mm -hmm. do disagree quite profoundly about stuff. And yeah. has it changed And that's your, okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what makes us different from the other side. Because it's like you and I can disagree about something and not need to hunt one another down and scratch one another's eyes out, right? Right, right. <laughs> 
yeah exactly. has it changed your views on on other political issues which might seem a bit disconnected like other hot button things which oh aren't? yeah definitely yeah. like um like the critical race theory um anti anti-racism is a big deal right now and mm-hmm. um and i you know i've been thinking about that a lot in terms of my practice because i have a lot of african-american patients and they love me they love me and they ask can you take care of my other family members can i bring other people to see you? and i don't walk into the room and announced that I am racist and that I know this about myself and you know that uh, that would be weird and it's just it's so weird. weird it is it's it's counterproductive I think I just am kind and listen and do a, a good job and uh yeah well and I think it's destructive to be honest I think that um it's destroying the fabric of the United States to go backwards Mm. away from, and the Asians have really taken the brunt of the, the fight because they're pulled in the middle, you know, they're, they're white adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, Like in Seattle, they count them like in the school system as white, but then as soon as um, a few are murdered, they're, they're people yeah. of color. Right. Um, and they're very so inconvenient they're kind of, to the logic, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, in California, it's the, the, the Asian community that's really rising up and doing the lawsuits against this teaching in the schools. Um, mm. The San Diego Unified School District has just been pulled into a court case um, to get gender or not gender, um, race uh, ideology um, out of public schools mm. um and they so go, they do go together right because where you get one you kind oh, yeah. of yeah less so yeah, in, less so in britain because it, the racial thing is very american but it's certainly in america yeah. it seems to me yeah. like if you get one they're twins mm-hmm. you know oh they are they are yeah. and uh and and it when i started really list reading critical theories and um really trying to understand what is critical theory and like how is this affecting everything it it just like that's kind of my Mm. whoa Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. changed me so you were you were pinned down and somebody opened your mouth and put the red pill down there were no outstretched hands with a blue pill and a red pill it was like open up here comes the medicine right Right. Yeah, my friend said, I think you've always been a closet conservative, but now you're out of the closet. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good analogy. Well, and it's it's strange because there are a few people in the in the group that, that you and I are part of who are who are definitely holding on to that left label. They're like, no, I'm not mm-hmm. letting go of this. And they're quite keen mm-hmm. on trying to get, let's say, the New York Times to change it's the way it covers these issues and mm-hmm. and then there are people quite a lot of people who are like no <laughs> you're wasting yeah. your time so you're yeah. in the you're in the second category I think you're just some yeah. people yeah yeah we canceled our New York Times subscription yeah. we were definitely you know that that co that group you know the leftists who read the New York Times and Mm-hmm. 
you know, I remember during the election, my husband was watching Fox because they have the best pollsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son was like, I can't believe you're watching Fox News. And my husband was like, well, they have the best pollsters. That's why I'm watching it. Like, I, what do you mean? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. It's funny. You know, do you think that his, his, his generation, there's this whole thing now of, I don't know, maybe this, it sounds like maybe this doesn't apply to your son in particular, but they're quite humorless, aren't they? They're quite po-faced because everything's like, mm-hmm. even if you just do like a, an impression of a regional accent, like, oh, this is what people from Boston sound like. And they're like, oh, that's yeah. so offensive to people from Boston. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, that's very sad, I think. Yeah, well, they, uh, it's, it's funny you bring up humor because that's pretty much how I get through life. And um, I just will, uh, say really off color things and it's um kind of a good way to measure like does somebody have a sense of humor or not yeah and um my um, yeah my son he he's gotten used to it it's like his whole life I've been cracking jokes and you know so I think it kind of uh forces him so you're doing a number of things which are kind of really like insurance I mean I'm not saying consciously but you're you're getting him engaged in physical activity you're changing his landscape you're getting him off the screen you're making sure that he's able to hear thoughts which are politically incorrect or you know mm-hmm. so he, you're not you don't end up kind of being guarded in your own home about what you're saying which I know a lot of parents mm. feel you could start doing master classes like this is just how right. to overcome it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I um have always loved being a parent. I always wanted to be a parent. I got an opportunity to go to medical school when I was 19 years old. And this doctor said, Whatever you need, I'll get you there. You can do it. And I said, I just don't want to be a doctor. And um, he said, Why not? And I said, Because I want to be a mother. Mm. And he's like, You can do both. And I said, I don't think so. And I didn't. This is heresy. I, heresy. Yeah, You're not supposed to say it. And uh, and so I became a nurse instead. And then mm-hmm. over time, I changed my career. And um, and and so then I I had these two babies, and I just loved being a mother. I know I'm so what they call it trad trad life. Trad um, wife. Yeah, you're a trad wife. What yeah, yeah, I'm a trad wife. Except my husband's a stay at home dad. Okay. <laughs> We're sort of bending the rules, but anyway, um, I've always loved parenting and I read a lot of parenting books and yeah. um, I've always kind of prided myself on being just really engaged and trying really hard in this little job I have as a person, making sure my other person is going to be okay. I think I need to use this opportunity to like get you on record while I'm recording you because there is this phenomenon that when young people desist when they kind of get through this and they go like I'm not so sure about this trans thing some of the parents who have been going through it they're like okay great brilliant never want to hear the word gender again and run for the hills so I kind of want to get you on recording as saying you won't abandon the parents movement if he fully desists oh I'm not you know my husband was asking me that the other day because he's been like on this great at least a month now of just 
kind of giving it up. And my husband's like, aren't you going to give up the parents group? I'm like, hell no. This is Mm -hmm. like, I just feel like I'm part of this thing that's bigger than myself. And, and it's these, you know, the work is not done. No, the work is not done. And and I think that's great to hear because particularly I think for those where it's been a lot more traumatic and there's been a lot more like tears and tantrums and even things like suicide bids and stuff like this, mm-hmm. you can forgive them for just like wanting to get the hell away from yeah. this as soon as they can. But the problem yeah. is that that leaves, I think particularly the parents of boys who are a little bit older who are now like 21, 23, 25, 27, 29. Mm-hmm. And it leaves them without much hope because when people do succeed and they're kind of left going, yeah, but I didn't, you know, my son is actually going through with this. And, and it's mm-hmm. it's a pity that they, that you know, there's something about this movement where very often success means exit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also the other thing to say is, is a fabulous group of people. Mm-hmm. they're so mm-hmm. interesting yeah you know? I know like one so one of the moms is like we need to have a reunion or some kind of get together I'm like oh yeah I'm totally there yeah I can see that I think there's a, a massive danger though which is like assuming that that happens and that, that this gender moment has sort of passed and we've managed to get a more rational treatment model and return to the two years of therapy before the hormones are given and all the rest of it and it's like mission accomplished and then we all meet up in a hotel and it turns out we just hate one another. <laughs> we have nothing in common. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that how life is? Like the be, you I know mean, like um this uh friend of mine at work she always says, you know, sometimes there needs to be a third object between two people to have a conversation. And mm-hmm. she thinks this is definitely between men, like that they won't just sit down and chit chat, but if there's a third thing object a dog walking or a building a fence or some kind of thing then you the the conversation flows so maybe we find a third object well there's and there's still a lot to be done because it's like you can you have moments of hope where you somebody will come out with something really rational I mean we had the Richard Dawkins thing was it last week Mm -hmm. where he Mm -hmm. said something which is quite logical which is sorry what's the difference between black face and woman face that you know why why are we not allowed to frame it in those terms and then and you think oh yay and then he buckled I mean he Mm -hmm. just folded so fast yeah well I mean I think that's the problem with social media there's just this pile-on effect Mm -hmm. and it's not a very personal space where you can know someone and you know, it's funny, one of the doctors at work, I was talking to her about this situation. And at first she was very much like, you're a a bigot. And like, she's kind of coming after me. And I'm like, you know what, bring it, bring me some studies, and we can have a conversation. And over time, she kind of warmed up. And yesterday, she said, I just am not looking forward to having teenagers. And I just cannot imagine what it's like to be a parent going through this, it must be so awful. And she's 180, 180. Brilliant, brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only way it gets done, really, isn't it? And particularly if you can do that to people in the healthcare profession, you kind of get them to understand that people like you are not bigots, are not coming at this Mm -hmm. from a sort of like this this view, this sense of fear. 
And I kind of think it's important to recognize there are, there are transphobes. There are people who are like consumed by disgust, particularly mm. I think for the male to females. Mm. And it just kind of feel this sense of revulsion from them. And I, I hope that we're able to articulate our, our viewpoint in this without it being lumped in with some of those people because mm -hmm. sometimes it can mm -hmm. get pretty nasty and right like, yeah the young men who do this you and I both know mothers where that he's going to do this mm -hmm. and he's going to need to pee somewhere he's going to need right employment yeah. protections and all the rest mm -hmm. of it or she mm -hmm. whatever we do with that whole issue so mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I actually have a couple male to female trans patients who've been long term patients of mine, and um, I I agree. Like I'm, they're quality human beings, right? And also they're like nice the, the, yeah. people. And they're smart. I do think there is something in this idea that the average person who does this is smarter because it's such a philosophical thing to do anyway, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. why when you've got these classrooms full of kids. And somebody maybe says like, um, you know, gender identity is different from biological sex. And the reality is if you're like IQ 89, that's just gonna fly over your head. You're gonna learn it mm -hmm. as a fact, but you're not gonna think about it. Whereas if you're IQ no. 131, you're gonna think, oh, I need to disprove that. Oh, I can't mm -hmm. disprove, which of course you can't disprove it because it's entirely. Right, absolute. dogma. Yeah, dogma, philosophical dogma. And so it's yeah. smart. It, yeah. And I think that there's very little articulation of that from, from our side. And I do think the only people who really know this are the parents, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and these kids have rejected all other dogma, you know, the Christian faith, the, um, you know, all of these things that they say, you, you, shouldn't do that and then they but they jump right in with this and can't see that it is too a dogma um so but is that just because it's new do you think is it because it's so shiny and new and i'm not sure i'll let you know because <laughs> i'm working on that one <laughs> <laughs> trying to work out why it isn't okay yeah, yeah. I'm well not sure no, with know, my I son think. you know like i want to know like i ask him what is it about this that makes you think that this is like some kind of truth and not some kind of idea like mm. there is a god like what you know that's mm. an idea that humans have it's not provable what's mm. the difference mm. um, do you think it's the difference that is because it's so transcendental it's so transformative like mm -hmm. it's this idea mm -hmm. that it's very disembodied it's like mm -hmm. your true spirit is beyond this this meat cage called your body and all mm -hmm. the rest of it and it's mm -hmm. i can see that well being... that's like directly in conflict with the buddhist philosophy that you are oh. an incarnated self and this body is your you deal with it and you sit with it and you be with it I was going to ask so, you, so where does this kind of come in with? Yeah. yeah, so that, and he's, we've been, I I was in the Catholic church. I grew up in the Catholic church. And then um, I actually was asked to not be confirmed when I was a teenager because I had a cow about 
the condom thing because they said no condoms. And I said, well, my grandpa has AIDS and you should use a condom. I cannot get on board with this. And they said, well, you have to go talk to the priest. So I had a meeting with the priest and he said, well, I can't reconcile this for you. So you can either agree to it or not. And I said, peace out, bye. And then I was, uh, you know, searching. I needed some kind of spiritual thing. And Mm. in college, I started being a Buddhist. Um, So anyway, my son's never, we went to Catholic mass a couple times, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. he's meditates and does the whole thing so i'll tell you you my catholicism story which is that i was confirmed and then i had uh, to do confession so i had to write a list of things to confess but i decided in my wisdom that god had done more wrong to me than i had done to god so i decided to turn up with a list of things that god should apologize to me for Oh, and that's that was my first confession. That's awesome. And in fairness, he was really nice. I mean, he told me off at the end, but he was I think he could see that I was not in a, in a good spot. Uh, so yeah, he was, he was quite yeah. nice about it. But yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really, really interesting. I hope mm-hmm. that people will listen to this and kind of get some fresh perspective and, and get a little bit of uh, hope that things are not always so static as they seem particularly people who are just going into this like if you're a month or two into this it can be so Mm. crushing scary and actually Mm -hmm. like what you've been talking about like getting outside and all the rest of it and maintaining a sense of humor and stuff there is a way that you can reclaim your your agency as a human Mm -hmm. and as a parent and come Mm -hmm. through this yeah yeah And I love that thought. I think that that's such a great thought. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.